0: out for a walk it just crossed my mind right now how little walking people do i mean this isn't me i'm not looking down on people for it but it's just so strange to me to think about how much of people's experience now at least in the area i live in maybe the big city is a little different but at least where i live in you know how much of people's experience day to day we week is driving somewhere, trying to park as close as possible to the front door of the place you're going to, maybe even wasting time driving around the parking lot, waiting for a spot closer to open up, you know, walking into that place, doing what you have to do, walking back to your car, driving home, I mean... You're, you really miss out on like a certain sense. Like, I'm not even coming from the exercise point of view, which, you know, obviously working walking into your routine is, uh, you know, a very easy, simple way to get some exercise. One, you're, you're less of a liability the more walking you do opposed to driving, obviously. This woman just right up here decided to do like a really awkward u-turn that involved like reversing one direction and then like having to i don't know what the fuck she's doing i'm watching her now and she still doesn't know what the fuck she's doing but uh yeah if that lady was walking she could have just done a u-turn a very smooth u what we call a very smooth u-turn instead it was whatever the fuck she was just trying to do there without any awareness that a pedestrian was nearby no awareness whatsoever but anyway just you know so many people's lives like they're just going place to place in their vehicles and this isn't any this isn't mind-blowing but it's some it's something i forget to acknowledge or i'm just like so little like they're missing out on uh, basically a whole dimension because you're living in a different dimension when you get in your car And you trade convenience for something that can, can and probably will upset you every time you use it. You know, the number of times you get upset when you're driving. Like, I think about just driving down to the store a block away. And how often at least one thing happens that upsets me. And even if it's not somebody else doing something even if it's not the result of somebody else, although often it is, I mean, even just driving down the street, there's a decent chance that somebody's going to do something stupid that's going to bother you or, or put you in harm's way. But even, in, even without that, just simply having to stop at a stoplight, like hitting the rhythm wrong so that you have to wait out an entire round of stoplight changes, like that can just knock you completely off your rocker like that can be the thing that you're screaming about and if you hit a bunch of you know red lights you start to feel like the whole world is conspiring against you all because you decided to drive something that's convenient something that will get you where you're going faster than anything else anybody had in history but every time you use this thing there's a strong chance that it will just infuriate you for some reason, you know, unto itself, like hitting stoplights, your car doing something, some sort of issue. Or the the likely chance that somebody else is gonna do something that's gonna make you so mad that you hate that person. Because that's what happens. I mean, it's like, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, or somebody tailgates you, that person is basically just, like, whispering in your ear. Or they're buzzing in your ear like a mosquito. Hate me, hate me, hate me, hate me. Please hate me. Please hate me. Get so. I want you to be so mad that you hate me for doing this. They might not know that's what they're saying to you. But that's what they're doing. Like, when, when somebody does something screwed up to you on the road... They're basically begging you to react, and to react with anger and hatred, and you will. Even if you're an, you are an otherwise well-balanced person, there's a decent chance if somebody does something that bothers you enough on the road, and that can and does happen at just any time, there's a good chance that you will be so mad at that person you hate them, and you have to resist the urge to give them the middle finger to mouth off to do something back to them, like you will have to use all of your discipline at the, to, to at the very least not let it ruin the next five minutes. But chances are it could ruin the whole day. You could go home complaining about it. So that's just wild. That's the level of power that cars have over us. So that person, you know, that's a different dimension. You know, That person who drives and doesn't walk anywhere, you know, I don't take the bus at this point. Someone who takes the bus would probably tell you, hey, that's a whole different dimension too. I know it is. Uh, I, know, I know riding the, the city bus is a whole other dimension. So you could make, you could say this about everything. But it's just like driving is, is is a totally different dimension from walking. And it's not like walking won't piss you off. I mean, if you go on walks, I mean, you have to constantly look over your shoulder. You know, you have to constantly watch out for cars. There's an inconvenience of like, guess what? Like, just because you're walking doesn't mean stoplights don't stop you too. You know, my fantasy is for... Uh, Every single intersection, with like a four-way intersection, my dream is for every single one to have elevated walkways so that pedestrians don't have to stop at them. Just a simple elevated walkway that goes over the road so that pedestrians don't have to stop. There's nothing worse than being on a good... I mean, there's a lot worse, but for the sake of this topic, there's nothing worse... then uh, when you're on a like a nice beautiful walk and you decide to go into a more populated area and just every block you're you have to stand there it's like man i'm on i'm on foot i should be able to go wherever i want and cars i mean cars don't make it easy on you because i mean i always get this feeling when i'm walking and even if it's a four-way stop where i have the go-ahead that person who's trying to make that turn where, like, I'm in the crosswalk and I have the right-of-way, you can feel how... you can sense how inconvenienced they feel by you. Like, even though it's this great thing that we have a system, you know, in place that, hey, now's now it's the guy on foot's turn to cross. Let's keep him safe. Like, even though it's great, we've invented that you get the feeling from tons of people that when they have to actually stop for you, they're like, oh my God, be kidding me. Like, they creep on you. I always love that one. The person who pulls up, and like as you're walking through the, the lane, like they're creeping on you, it's like, I don't trust your foot well enough. You already seem really undisciplined. That you feel the need to creep forward while I'm still in the crosswalk. Like, that's going to make a difference as to whether or not you get to turn when you're going to turn. But, like, you're so impatient and undisciplined that you're just creeping. I don't trust your foot enough. Like, you you also seem like the kind of person whose, like, foot's going to slip and you might hit me. You know, that happens. But, uh... You know, I mean, it happens especially, that's just at intersections where like you have the right-of-way, like where you have the little pedestrian walk sign. When you're uh, just going, when you just have to go for it on a busy road and all there is is that one where like, maybe it blinks once you start walking onto it, but it's just a random crosswalk in the middle of two busy roads. People hate to stop for you then. They will make eye contact with you and just keep going. They will gun it. They do not think they should have to stop. Because you can see, like being in a car gives somebody like a might is right sort of mentality. Where like, I'm in a armored mech. I'm in a mechanized armored vehicle. Yeah, it's not a tank, but it's armored. You're in a machine that's covered in metal plates designed to protect the occupants. I mean it's a freaking armored vehicle. It goes really fast. And when people use it, they think, "Oh, look at that guy who's not in an armored vehicle." And he's at my mercy right now. And you know what? He can wait. I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to lower myself and express weakness by doing the right thing and letting this guy cross. Because, you know, if he decides to cross, you know, my armored vehicle is going to kill him. And that's, and that's what I always say about cars, too. You know, and I've been going on about it lately, but nobody else seems to. Is that it's like we're, we're actually trusting people with the power of life and death constantly. Every single time they go anywhere. when they really want ice cream late at night we trust that person with the power of life and death just so that they can go get that ice cream and come back so they can go to the store and get it and you don't hear about like people are like oh you know background checks on guns this and that how much back you know how much background You know, investigation is done on people before they get a license. I feel like there's very little to none. You pass the test, that's about it. They didn't do any kind of background check, and granted, most people get their licenses pretty young. But it blows my mind that people make this huge deal about, you know, background checks on guns when far more people drive and. An imbalanced person on the road—you know—you just can't have that. But we we manage to just be like, oh, whatever, it's fine. It just seems to you know up the chances of something happening, and it just doesn't go acknowledged. But uh, it's just—it's weird though, how like you know when you. Well, when you walk a lot, too, it's like you, you get to see cars from that perspective, where it's like you you really see drivers for what they are. Like it, and it's interesting to me how many people you notice who are obvi- obviously distracted or doing something else while they're driving. You become very aware of that when you're on foot. And you know what, when people are looking at their phones, you know, it's an obvious thing to point out. Oh, people looking at their phones when they're driving. But when you actually see people doing that, they look so stupid and brainless in that moment. And if you listen to this show, you know I don't throw the word stupid out there like it's nothing. I try not to view people as stupid. I try not to... it's it's, It's such a common and self-superior way of of dismissing someone's points or their existence, to call them stupid. And that's so much of what the conversation is these days. Oh, you disagree with me, so you're stupid. Oh, this guy's stupid. I'm smart, this guy's stupid. Me and my friends are smart, these people are stupid. You know, so much of everything revolves around that. But that's truly what I feel. Like, I saw a friend of mine some years back i was uh i was like walking home from the store and someone who was a good friend of mine at that time i saw her driving down the street kind of by my house going i don't know there's a lot of places to go there but she was driving down the street and like she was texting and driving like, like didn't see me like even though i was like on the sidewalk five feet away from her she didn't see me because she wasn't looking at the road at all and I, I saw her phone in her hand, and I saw that she was just completely focused on whatever whoever she was texting. and uh, like this person is very smart like this is, this is somebody I, I you know have a high opinion of, but it was just in that moment, I was like that she looked so stupid. like she, she like and, and I mean like stupid as in like like almost like I was looking at a ghost. Or like a hologram image, I don't even mean stupid as an insult, I mean like, vacant. It's the, you know, the example I always use when my friend and I were driving in the mountains of Canada on the highway and it was getting dark. And there was just this one lone Jeep on a crowded highway with its lights off. And the only reason we knew it was there is because we would see some of the headlights behind us darken. And they were just like drifting from lane to lane with their headlights completely off. They would just basically eclipse the other headlights. So that's the only way you knew they were there, because it was dark. And how I found that so terrifying. It was like this ghost ship just floating. Just kind of like floating and banging against things. That's what this jeep was like in Canada. Just these like, these high up snow covered mountains, mountain highway and this one car with its lights off just drifting back and forth just swinging loose that person's brain just empty swinging loose and that's what my friend looked like when i saw her texting and driving i was like oh she looked like 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 she was just swinging loose like it looked like there was no mind in her just a ghost ship like floating around i never said that to her never told her I felt that way. I think I messaged her. I was like, oh, I saw you driving. And I, and I say this from a non-judgmental point of view. I'm not saying, oh, my God, she was texting and driving. How dare she? You know, I don't even mean it from that point of view. I'm saying simply the way it looked. And I see that a lot. That's what I'm getting at is, you know, when I'm out walking, like I'll be standing at a stoplight. And I think the one that gets me the most is... Like people as they're turning. Like when someone's in a turn lane and they have the green arrow. Like if you watch people, and you can do this from your car too. I think this is actually a better way, uh, the better place to do it is actually like when you're in a a turn lane. And like the oncoming turn lane is like having to pass you. And the people come really close to you. Because you're just like sitting there on the edge. And these people are like turning toward you and it puts their driver's side seat really close to where you're sitting but you like so it's this weirdly intimate thing where you're like these people are turning right past you and they they, they come within like a foot of you but like it's weird to see people in that moment because like most people aren't thinking about like how do i look when i'm turning in, in a turn lane at an, at an intersection but you'll see the most interesting-looking faces, like the most vacant, the most, like, serious, the most determined. You'll see people who are doing that, who are making the turn while they're doing something on their phone or distracted with something else, not paying attention. But it's, it's, like, it's a weirdly intimate thing that's normal to us, and it's kind of crazy to think about, because, like, you don't sit there and think, like, oh, yeah, these people are, um, like like you'll never see these people again in most cases and it's just kind of wild how how actually close they get to you as they turn (laughs) but yeah when you're on foot though you do a lot of that too where you just like you really see what people are up to when they're behind the wheel and they're up to a lot you know people are up to a lot like this isn't some, like, oh, you know, in the age of phones, all everybody does is, like, text and drive, or look at the internet while they drive. This is, you know, this has been going on long before that. Just any distraction available, people will will do while they drive. Anything they can fuss over, anything they can multitask with, they'll do. But there doesn't seem to be a limit. Like, there doesn't, there doesn't seem to be, like like, we as as individuals or as a species don't seem to reach a point where we go, okay, no, I think it's, I think that we've learned the maximum amount of things we can, like, fuss around with while we drive. We just seem to, you know, because, I mean, if you told someone 20 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, but I would say even 20 years ago, like, 2002, you know, phones, I mean, I, I don't know if there were any internet phones, There were no smartphones. I don't don't know if there was really anything beyond cell phones that you could do basic texting with and a little bit of, maybe that was about it, aside from phone calls, but like if you told those people, even people who had cell phones in like 2002, if you told them, like, oh yeah, you know, in 15 years, in 10 or 15 years, you're going to be able to do everything imaginable on this. You're going to have a million applications for looking at and interacting with your peers. You're going to be able to go to every website. There's going to be tons of games of all kinds. There's going to be so much stuff for you to do on this to the point where it'd be overwhelming to you right now. To your 2002 brain, the amount of stuff that you're going to be able to do with and on your phone, the amount of things that are going to require you to use your phone to do them, would completely overwhelm you. But not only that, like, you're going to adjust to the point where, like, you feel comfortable doing those things while you drive. Like, that person wouldn't be able to do that. It's, like, one of those things you have to... It's one of those things that you have to adjust toward, you know, where you you have to... Uh, you have to kind of gradually do that. You have to, like, start by texting and driving... And gradually work up to like checking your other things while you do it. But to that 2002 person, like they would be completely overwhelmed if you just put a smartphone in their hands and said like, "Oh yeah, you know, people 20 years from now will be just like doing all sorts of things on this while they drive, and it, it'll, it'll be freaking dangerous." Then they won't be good at it, but they're gonna feel okay doing it. It's fucking crazy. But, uh... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, a lot of thinking about cars. But, uh, something else that crossed my mind... Yeah, it's been a really cold spring. The coldest that I ever remember. Like, June so far, we've had days in the 50s and 60s... A lot of rain a lot of gloom i don't mind it though like it would be nice like i don't think we've had a single i don't know that it's gone above the lower 70s at all since spring started normally by may by like mid-may we tend to get some a couple warmer sort of pre-summer days but uh this year no it's just it's been this long extended gloomy spring like it's really felt more like fall Like, aside from the fact that, you know, the only difference between this spring and fall is just that it hasn't gotten progressively colder as it's gone on, as fall does. But other than that, it's been pretty much a fall. And I can't complain, you know, we need the water. Like, the more water we get now, the better the summer is going to be. And then on top of that, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, people spend all year waiting for 80-plus degree weather. Like, we get one day in the upper 70s, or finally it breaks into the 80s, and all the girls are wearing short shorts. Everybody's ready. Everybody was just at the ready for that warm weather to hit. And people enjoy it for a week or two. You know, they really, they're like, oh, yes, like the, you know, we've lived in this rainy, dark state winter all every single winter here feels like it's the darkest all yet you know every every single winter you're like oh i think that was probably the darkest one yet but uh you know by the time springs here and we start to get a couple warm days people are just ready they're just ready but the thing is they get sick of it so quickly like that's just people in a nutshell is like They've been waiting for 80 plus degree weather, and then now they have to deal with it for like two straight months, and by two or three weeks, people are like, okay, I'm sick of it now. So this year it might work out. Because we're already well into mid-June, and we've had no hot weather whatsoever, not even particularly warm weather. I'm hoping by the time we start getting warm weather, it's gonna last like a month. It'll be the perfect amount, like, like, just enough for us to enjoy it without getting sick of it. So it could work out. But, uh... It is just funny how our minds do that. It's like that, that one thing we want. It's like, oh yeah, it's just this, this thing I've been looking forward to for so long. And then you have it, and you're just like, okay, I'm sick of It, it happens with so many things. I was just thinking about like the different places the mind goes, though. How far out the mind goes is just all over the place. Nice Thursday night walk, but uh, you know, Columbine comes up constantly. And like I've said before, it's like it was like the only school shooting that was remotely interesting. I think, like, partially for me because I was just—I was a brand new teenager when that happened and everything about it perfectly encapsulates that period of what it was like to be a teenager they were a few years older than i was but it's still like they perfectly capture like everything about that school everything about like all the different kids involved like every everybody involved reminds me a lot of where i grew up it's probably just the time you know it's suburban, you know, that's Colorado, Washington, I don't know, there's just, to me, that's that's kind of why, why it's always kind of remained a little bit interesting to me, beyond, like, I don't know, some people are interested in it for one reason or another, for me, it's just kind of the time capsule effect, where I'm just like, oh yeah, that really does remind me of that period, like, every time I, I see something about it, it really takes me back to 1999, and just what was going on where I lived. Um, But it comes up constantly. Like, it's not just that, to me, it's not just, like, I'm the only one who's like, oh, yeah, Columbine's the only interesting school shooting. It's like, that's how these, you know, that's how, like, coverage of school shootings is framed. Like, Columbine will always be the reference point that they use. Columbine will always be the reference point. And to, for the kids too, for these, these shooters as well, they're mainly obsessed with Columbine it seems. Like that's kind of like their, that's the gold standard to them. Like even though other people did far worse things, like killed more people or killed little kids and things like that, they all seem to use Columbine as like, I don't know, it's like the source of all their lore. It's like an old tabletop RPG to them, and that's, like, their source book. And, uh... I don't know, it's, it's, it's like, what it makes me think of, it's like... Every time I meet people who are into, like, metal or hard rock... I'm always, like... Sometimes, like, we don't have the same taste. Like, I was thinking about a couple guys I know recently. We were talking about music, because they're into some metal and hard rock. And, like, unfortunately, like... My taste in metal is so specific. And not even in in an elitist, like, asshole kind of way. It's just that it's really specific. Like, and there's certain things that just really rub me the wrong way. Things I don't even hate, but just, like, some music I don't like. So, it's always weird, like, when you find, like, musical common ground with, like, random dudes. And, like, oh yeah, you're into metal. But then, like, inevitably it gets into just weird territory. So, like, I always just try to find, like, what's the what's, like, the lowest, not the lowest common denominator, but, yeah, like, like what, what's the common denominator, like, and I find that, like, if everybody likes Black Sabbath, that's perfect, like, if everybody loves Black Sabbath, that's consensus, so, like, I might not like some, like, shitty, like, 2008 metalcore band that, like, this guy thinks is metal, because that's, that's what I'm getting at. Like, you say you like metal to somebody. Like, this happened to me at a, at a workplace. I don't know how the guy even found out I was into music or into metal. He, he might have just come up and asked me. This is a warehouse, so it's like people... Some... The chatty people would just ask you random questions about yourself. But this guy, he was he was kind of like the butt of everybody's jokes. He had no friends at the place. Like, people kind of bullied him. But he brought it on himself. Like, I didn't bully him. But I also didn't... I, I knew that Like I didn't want to sit at his lunch table, so to speak. He was, like, probably 40. Yeah, I would say he was probably, like, in his early 40s. He had, like like, a chubby guy with, like, a goatee and glasses and just, like, jean shorts. He had a kid and a wife. But he was just the butt of everybody's jokes. He was just awkward. But really forceful, like... I don't know, kind of, like, thought high of himself. Like, he Like I said, he kind of, he brought it on himself. It's not like everybody just chose this, this, like, quiet guy to be mean to at work. I don't know. He just... He, he seemed to kind of invite it. But anyway, like, somehow he found out that I like metal. And then he was like, you gotta hear this, man. Dude, you gotta hear this. And the thing about this guy, too, is you could tell he was, like, constantly looking for... Because he'd worked there forever. Like, all these people who were mean to him had worked with him forever. And so, like, when new people would start working there, like me, he would kind of try to, like, recruit friends, you could tell. And uh, so I think that's kind of what he was doing with me, where, like, he was like, oh, man, like, gotta check this out. And it was some, like, really just terrible... Like, he, he let me borrow this CD... And it, and it was just some like really really terrible christian metalcore like i i never even i didn't even put it on like i just i borrowed it and like pretended that i listened to it cuz you could tell what it was going to sound like like you could tell that it was going to be like because that shit had already like made its way to MTV by this point like that kind of sound like they, where it's like they they have like sung vocals It's just like a cliche of like everything that was bad about metalcore combined with like clean vocals Combined with like the exact haircuts you would expect And that's the weird thing about that stuff and I found this with a bunch of guys who are a bit older than me Like people that I've known not through music but through other things and like you find out they're into metal and, like, they might be, like, older than you. They might be, like, in their 40s, 50s, and, like, they cut their teeth on, like, Metallica and Slayer and stuff that's, like, you know, the totally reputable, the classics, the stuff that, like, we all got into early, and these guys were there for it. Like, these are guys who saw... I, I'm thinking about a different person here, but it's, like, people who saw, like, Slayer in the, the mid-80s, who saw Metallica on, like the Ride of the Lightning tour. But then like flash forward to like the the mid 2000s and that same guy is now like 50 years old and he's listening to like Job for a Cowboy or something I've never heard. Like I've never heard that. I can only imagine what it is. But it's like that guy who was like into all of the great shit as it was emerging is now old. And he's just like, I'm gonna check this out. That's kind of what this was like with this guy who I worked with like because I think we did talk about like some basic like old school stuff like big stuff you know I'm sure it was like Iron Maiden or something like yeah Iron Maiden Metallica oh yeah I'm into some of the heavier stuff too and then he he lends you this like new Christian metalcore thing that's just like how do you even uh what do you even say because I think I told him I was like oh I checked it out it wasn't really for me but like I can see why you liked it because I'm not out to be an asshole about that stuff. And people are waiting for you to be one. Like, people are waiting for you to be an asshole about things like that. Like, things like music. But it's like, there's no real tactful way. Because then the problem is, is if you completely lie and you say, oh, it was really good, that they, they give you more. I've had people do that, where, like, I've, I've flat out lied and I've been like, oh, that was pretty cool. And they're like, oh, well, I got more like that. Here's more. So, like, the best thing you can do is just, like, tactfully be like, Oh, yeah, you know, not really for me. You know, not really, uh... Not really for me, but I can see why you'd like it. Like, we have to powder each other's faces so much. And, I mean, I don't want to be an asshole. I don't want to insult someone's taste. I don't... I never really want to come across, like, self-superior, but... It's just such such an awkward situation. But anyway, like, the lowest common denominator, so it's like... When you find somebody like that, where they're, like... They're into, like, heavy music, or they're into, like, metal... But they've gone off in some horrible direction like that. Where they're, like, now trying to push, like, metalcore on you. And, uh... And you know what, though? The story has a happy ending, because this other guy started working there... Who played in a metalcore band... And he was like a single dad with like two or three kids, but he was my age, and I was like in my 20s. But he was like this young single dad with like two or three kids, and he played guitar in a metalcore band, and was like way more passive, like way more, uh, just like, like just yeah, you're just like a way more passive person about music. So like that guy found him. And then they would, would like, talk shop about metalcore and all that stuff. And, like, I was like, he found the right person. But in those situations, like, you know, I'm not out to be at odds with anybody. I'm not out to, like, disrespect. I mean, like, you know, the older I get, the more important you realize it is to, like, even when there's a disagreement, to at least, like, try to find where the common ground exists. (laughs) And that's Black Sabbath to me. And I I did have a point to this that I'll be getting back to. But for me, that's Black Sabbath. Like, if you're talking to, like, somebody who's like, yeah, I'm into, like, hard rock and heavy metal. And if they don't like Sabbath, well, you're probably not going to have any common ground on anything. And that happened actually recently with a couple people who were, like, talking about metal that I wasn't really into. But I was just like, well, it all comes back to Black Sabbath for me. And one of the other guys is like, that's my favorite band. And I'm like, hell yeah we can at least talk about Black Sabbath. <laughs> but, but it's like uh, Columbine seems to be like Black Sabbath to these school shooters. Like that's sort of, like the consensus between them is like, yeah, it all kind of goes back to that. Like that's their their standard. That's the common denominator. Like even these kids who, are, who now are born in 2000, what? 2000. These 18-year-old kids are born in like 2004. These kids who are doing this—they're they're starting to be born now in the mid 2000s. And but even among them, like they get the memo. And part of that is just the the amount of coverage. But uh, it's just it's one of those things where, you know, it it manages to remain like. I mean, even the news references it. Like whenever there's a new one, whenever there's a new shooting or something, the news brings up Columbine. And for whatever reason, that became the example. And it doesn't seem like anything at this point will change that. It doesn't seem like something more gruesome or horrific or anything else is going to change that from being the just the, the central go-to. And for me, though, it's like it, it just... It makes me think of growing up during that time that was my point um but with uh but with going where was i going with that oh well just the different places people's minds go like people have had a long time now to like think about every question they ever wanted to ask about columbine and because most of those questions can't be answered, they end up like just going deep into this like rabbit hole of theories. You know, we can see where like like the kids who have turned it into this fandom, you know, we can see how they are. We're like to to these younger generations of kids born now, and they existed back then too, but I think like the ones who are being born now only know it. As a historical event. Like something that happened before you were born is a historical event to you. And so these kids now who are being born in the 2000s and are obsessed with something like Columbine, it's a historical event. It's more mythology than it is reality and it really is like some sort of fandom that's developed around it. And what we see with like fandoms in general are that, like, people want to have every question answered. Like, we see this with, uh, you know, like, popular movies, like Star Wars and comic books and things like that, where, like, I mean, I saw a good example is uh, when I went to the X-Files convention in the mid-'90s. The the thing about that, the X-Files was so popular in the mid-'90s that they had a traveling convention that went from city to city and my sister and her boyfriend and I went. And uh, they had a QA and a with the cast. Not everybody, I mean, the, the big stars weren't there. But uh, they had the guy, like the nerdy guy from The Lone Gunman. The guy with long blonde hair and glasses. He was there, and he was funny. He had a lot of funny little jokes to make. But like, people would ask him questions. They would ask the different, like the people who were there... I don't remember who else was there, but it was like different people who worked for the show, who acted in the show. And like some of the questions the fans would ask them would be like things that they had never even thought about. You know, the person who wrote the script had never even thought about that. And uh, for example, like, one question that always stood out to me that a fan asked was like, why does David, and you know somebody's a serious fan, if they're calling David Duchovny, David. Like, they they said, when David said... Like, they don't say, when David Duchovny, like, this fan said, when David... But they asked why David Duchovny, why David, pronounced the, the state Oregon wrong. Apparently, on the show, Mulder, and maybe it's just the actor, pronounces Oregon, Oregon. And this fan, I remember, asked... They were like... Like, they thought that it was a deliberate, creative decision... That was supposed to tell us something about the character or something. Like, this fan had read into that pronunciation so deeply... That they they thought that it was something like a creative decision... To be read into by the fans. And I remember the answer was just like... Like this person, I don't know if it was the lone gunman guy or or another member of the staff, but like whoever was answering was just at a loss. They were like, I have no idea what you're even talking about, you know. But that's sort of what fandoms do, is it's like they take every little detail and they want to know like the why and the how. They're almost like conspiracy theorists in a way, where they think that everything has an explanation. Like Star Wars fans have been doing this forever. Where it's like they demand a backstory for every single character who walks by. They want to know the name of every single gadget. They want to know the name of every single little thing. As if, you know, as if the creators planned on that. And Star Wars is a good example because you can see where, like, the people who created Star Wars, like, had to kind of scramble to keep up with the fandom's demand for info. And, and backstories and explanations. And in some cases, like they made them up after the fact, and then we're like, oh, sure, uh, you know, it was always that way. Where like they'll, they'll, they'll be like, oh, sure, oh that, that was what we meant originally. You know, you've seen where George Lucas and people like that will, will do that, where they're like, oh, no, we, we meant to do that all along. But really what they were doing is they were creating some sort of backstory or explanation to appeal to the fandom because like one of the main like the main hunger of fandoms is information and explanations for why things are the way they are like they start to think that almost like a conspiracy theorist that everything was by design and everything was planned to be the way it was well you can see where that that kind of has developed with even something like columbine where these people who, war- who who obsess over it, they think in that same way. The reason I call it a fandom is because they end up thinking in the same way. And for example, like I remember seeing something somebody said, where they they were like, they were like, because I, I guess in Columbine, you know, like one of them took his trench coat off early. During the massacre, like one of them took his trench coat off early, while the other kept it on for most of the massacre, I guess. And like somebody like posited a question, and I saw I saw somebody say this, where they were like, "Why did uh, you know? Why did Eric take like, his trench coat off so early, while you know Dylan kept it on throughout the massacre?" And then like that question was asked, you know, which you know if someone's obsessed with that shit, I guess it's a valid question. You know but to be even looking for an explanation to a question like that is insane but sure enough somebody had an explanation where they're like well actually like we believe that uh dylan loved his his, his trench coat more than eric than eric did like like dylan was more attached to his trench coat and then like two paragraphs explaining why that is and i'm like oh yeah this is insane like this is insane when you when you read that you're like this is where the human mind goes when it when it doesn't have any like parameters to operate inside of like this is what like like someone's mind is going to do when it's left unchecked and it's left to its own devices because i read that and i was just like oh man Like not that I don't do that in my own way not that I don't overthink things in my own way But just to be reading about something like Columbine and to like see somebody Ask the question like why did one of them leave his trench coat off? Or why did did one of them leave it on and the other take his off as if it was like planned that way? Like if you want to actually answer that question, it's probably like It was a little too bulky and hard to maneuver around in it was too hot based on what he was doing The other guy found it more manageable. He was taller. (laughs) He was taller, and it was probably easier to move around in it than it was for the the little guy. I don't know. No, I'm sure they planned it. It was by design. It was a reflection of which one had a deeper attachment to his coat than the other one. And they designed it that way. That's what people kind of want to hear when they're fans of stuff. Like, when, when a fandom develops... Like they want to have every question answered, and the idea that things are just left open to chance, the things just happen randomly, bothers people in that situation. But that's a thing. Is you know, imagination is great, but <laughs> but like everything, it needs some limiters on it because that's what that is. It's like when people are fans, because you see where, like, fandom branches into fan fiction, where, like, just having an interesting, engrossing story to be into isn't enough for everybody. And some people start writing their own, other people start uh, consuming it. This fan fiction that's like, I'm going to take what's already there and add my own twist. I'm going to add my own twist to this. Or I'm gonna make the story go in a direction that I wanted it to go in. So, you know, with fandom comes a need to, like, amend. And, you know, just further proof that Columbine has a fandom is that people have done that with them. People have written fan fiction about them. And that's, I don't think that's new. I think that started pretty soon after it happened. And one of the functions of fan fiction is to explain things that the original story or creator hasn't properly explained. That's one of the main motivations for why people write fan fiction is they often try to cover they try to reconcile something or tie some loose end that was in the story. When the loose end might just be there cuz oh the creator forgot to tie that. Oh, they didn't. They didn't notice. It was a mistake. So entire fan fiction will develop, trying to like reconcile the mistake or a loose end from the original story. It's really crazy how that's one of the probably the bigger motivators. Or if they feel like something wasn't fully explored, you know, obviously this fan fiction people write often involves like relationships. Like the fan fiction that women write it often involves you know relationships between the different characters. And characters of all types, you know? And sometimes that's motivated by, like, them seeing potential between certain characters, but it's never, like, properly addressed in the real story. So basically, like, like all this, this fanfic that people write, one of the main motivations is to address things that they feel weren't properly addressed. It's not just to create, like, new stories using those characters. It's actually meant to address things that they feel were, weren't were given enough time, or weren't explored properly. As well as to address things that don't make sense, or to explain things. Because when someone gets obsessed with things, like they tend to want explanations for everything, and when they can't find explanations, they start giving their own. And we do it even with real things that happen. But real things develop their own cult following. They develop their own fan-fandom. And if you pay like a little bit of attention to these online communities that form around like true crime, not just Columbine, but true crime of any kind, you'll see like the same mentality takes place. Where what people are looking for is an explanation. And when they can't really get it, especially if it's like, you know, following like a cold case or something, like, something kicks in that makes them basically start creating their own fan fiction around this thing. Like, I first really saw that when I was following the, uh... The Irons, You know, Golden State Killer case before it was solved. And, like, seeing, the, like, how attached people became to their pet theories. And, uh... And, like, they would come up with these suspects that they found through, I, I don't know what... They would find, like, persons of interest and suspects, and then they would start trying to make that person fit. And then they would become convinced that that person was the guy, that they had found him. They were, like, the little Nancy Drew hardy boy who solved the case. And inevitably, those theories were often coupled with, like, oh, well, I told law enforcement, but they don't don't actually want to solve this. Or maybe even, like, they would say it this guy's protected by the government, or there's corruption. I mean, like, part of what I'm talking about is obviously, like, mental illness and, like, just weird fantasies that come from that. But you would see it with, like, relatively normal people, too. They would come up with, like, a pet theory. They would become more convinced by that theory because it provides an explanation where one can't be found, and then they become, you know, emotionally invested in it. And then they start to think that, oh, the reason why this theory hasn't been proven is because people are conspiring to prevent that from happening. Like, the the police don't want to know or are involved or whatever it is. It was weird to see that happen numerous times. And then after that case was solved, you know, like, after Joseph D'Angelo was arrested, it was also really interesting to, like, see how people responded. And, like, some people were like, oh, like... I guess, I guess you know, this guy did it. I guess this guy that got arrested was the guy who did it. But here's the reason why I think that he had a secret partner who was helping him. And so it's like a way of keeping their theory alive. You know, they're like, oh, uh, well, I guess that, that guy they arrested was involved, but here are all my reasons for thinking that, that the guy that I thought did it was also involved too. They did it together. Because they're married to that fan fiction they came up with. And I I noticed with that case, too, like, I followed that case so closely. And there are a lot of unanswered questions about it. But with that case, like, people would come up with their own explanations. And the fact that not everything has been explained at this point, you know. Like, he's never come out and fully cooperated, beyond pleading guilty to... murders and everything like he's never come out and like broken down where he was or how he did everything so as a result there's still a lot of mystery there's still a lot that hasn't been explained and anytime you have that people will just fill it in with just the wildest ideas you know just you know like i said it's like when, when the imagination doesn't have any constraints on it the result isn't usually very good it's just kind of funny it's just funny how like you know we put we put so much emphasis on imagination and everything but it's like what actually makes imagination effective is to have just some kind of constraint you know not censorship not you know, it's, it's a delicate balance you know it's it's kind of the same as like when you have every tool available to you like when you have an entire studio of musical equipment, you're probably going to make something that's not quite as good as what you would make if you had a very limited set of tools, a very limited set of instruments to use, a very limited set of equipment that forced you to be imaginative and put more into the performance than the production. Just one example. I feel like it's the same thing with... um just any use of the imagination, where you you need some kind of constraint on it. Otherwise you just start digging. And a lot of it comes from the fact that we can't really handle our own imaginations without some kind of constraint on them. You know, because it's like if nothing ever pushes back, you know, it can just take us anywhere. And I think that's kind of what we've seen, you know, the last couple of years, last few years. I think we've seen where, you know, you know, people, it's not that they have a, you know, a lack of info. It's that they, ha- they, are, they are so overexposed and oversaturated in info that instead of actually, like, putting together, like, a coherent, you know, view of the world and everything, they've just kind of blown their minds out into smithereens and are seeing kind of whatever they want in that. It's like it's given people like more it's, it's given like people more options for how to like arrange that information or it's arranged for them in some cases. So the result of having too much information is it's actually pushed our imaginations into overdrive because more information doesn't mean more answers or more explanations in many cases it means more questions and more mysteries because like speaking for myself you know the more information that i get the more confused i usually am the more in the dark i feel the more the more aware i am of how much is out there that i don't know I think that's always the byproduct of more information is realizing that oh even with this amount of information the mysteries only become darker and you know that's I think you have to accept that you have to accept that you won't get a clear explanation for everything more information won't solve that for you It's it's basically accepting that you have all the information you need to know at any given time. Wherever you are, like wherever you were born, whatever time and place, there's a good chance that you have all the information that you could possibly need. And part of life is just accepting that, oh, hey, maybe I don't need to know everything. Maybe it's not possible for me to know everything. Because, I mean, I kind of... I admired that about people growing up like I know a lot of my friends like when we got into something like Star Wars or you know whatever else it was like we were kind of like oh I want to know everything else there is to know I want all my questions answered I want them to come out with a comic book that goes into why that character in the background was there that day you know that's kind of what you're looking for when you're a kid and you're like into this universe You know, I'm sure that, like, later on, like, that's how kids felt about Harry Potter and things like that. But, like, there were some kids, though, who would just, like, see that, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, Star Wars is a good movie. But that was enough for them. Like, they could just watch that and be into it, but it didn't make them go, like, oh, I want to have every single thing that happened in that movie explained to me. I want a backstory for every character. I want to know, like, the name, I want, you know, because they made books, they made Star Wars books that were, like, technical diagrams of, of, like, ships and, like, devices and machinery with names and, like, explanations for, like, the technology and how it worked. Like, there were kids who saw those movies, though, and didn't need to know them. I, I, especially, I used to have that feeling, especially with, like, adults. Like, if you saw a movie like that, like an immersive world-building movie along the lines of Star Wars, like, if you saw that with someone's dad, like, if your friend's dad took both of you to go see it, like, he might just watch it and be like, oh, that was good. But he's not going to go home and obsess over it. You know, he's not going to go home and be like, oh, you know, I wonder what, like, the the name of that device that was, like, on the, uh, that was in the back of the ship and they, they never used it once. I wonder what the purpose of that device was and what it was called. And, you know, that guy's never going to think that. Because they can just kind of accept that, oh, this is a movie. You know, someone created something that's enjoyable. But they don't need to know everything. They don't need to become part of this fandom. (laughs) And so, I don't know. I feel like, you know, there's something to be said for both, though. Because it's like... What makes us like those things to begin with, what makes those things so enjoyable, you know, is they do do something for our imagination. But we can see we're like, you know, when, when that's not like kept in check somehow, when we have total access to it, you know, it just causes our brains to kind of fragment. And that's kind of the thing about, you know, speaking of fan fiction and all that, like, the interesting thing about it is it's, like, it doesn't usually come up with anything compelling on its own. Like, I know there are some examples of fan fiction that's ended up, like, been it's become legitimized and very popular and maybe even, like, gone on to be part of, the, part of that thing or, I know, it started its own thing. Because I think I remember... I think it was like the Twilight books or something started as some kind of fan fiction or something that branched off into its own thing. So, you know, obviously that can happen, but it's it's very rare. It's almost like a cover band going on to be recognized on their own. like a, Like a full-on cover band. You know, the chances of that happening are just very slim. But, uh... I don't know, it's just, it's, there's always this delicate balance between, you know, letting the imagination run wild, because there's, it's obviously amazing, just to like, to see how far your imagination will go, but having that thing to keep it in check, having that, having something that, you know, keeps you from, uh, that, that keeps you from, uh, like just going way out there and digging. And people will do it with, you know, real-life events, just as they will, you know, fictional. It doesn't seem to make a difference. Like these fandoms develop, and our imagination is just run wild with questions, with explanations. And to think of, of, of how many of us now are just going around in that state of mind... This land is mine God gave this land to me